0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a lot to learn with Austin Rogers. For the guy who knows everything, he's still got a lot to learn. Without further ado, here's Austin. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good
1: morning, good evening, good afternoon, good night. I have no idea what time it is because this is a podcast and you are listening to it whenever you might be. Today is going to be really exciting because we have acclaimed film director, film director, can't even start, film director Chris Landon, who has written three, no, four paranormal activities Written and directed, Happy Death Day, and coming out on Valentine's Day? On Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day is the sequel, Happy Death Day to You. So we're going to make sure that you hear this one shortly. Welcome, Chris. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is going to be really exciting because Chris is in the middle, embedded in this horror movie renaissance. The past decade or so, you know, we've been in a renaissance of horror movies when they've been more thoughtful, less slasher,y more psychological. Oh, don't get me wrong; there's still the blood and gore in there, but it's a lot different than the '80s and
0: the '90s. Didn't really have much horror, did it? Uh, I mean, the '90s had its its fair share. Um, I mean, you had Scream. Scream, but Scream was meta. It was very meta. Scream was meta horror. It, it was sort of on. It was. It was. It, it. It kind of had to restart. It was a reset button. I well, think, for us, okay. Is is there a distinct before Scream
1: and after Scream landscape of the horror slash
0: slasher genre? I think so. I mean, I and why I say that Scream was sort of the the reset button. It's because Scream acknowledged. The language... Um, of horror um, and all the tropes, you know? And so, and it played on those. And what are some of those tropes? What are, I
1: mean, we know, all know them, but you are a director. From a director's mindset, what are the ones that you look at
0: and you're like, all right, these are canonical. This is the fundamentals. I mean, everybody knows, you know, that the virgin lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yep. if, if you're if you're a teen having sex, you're going to die. <laughs> uh, and, and there were other terrible ones. Like, you know, it was like, if you were, if you were, um, uh, african-american or hispanic you were probably gonna die it was like (laughs) these really weird awful um things that hopefully uh have changed since then um but you know there's some other ones i mean there's just all the the classics of you know um you know the, the the victim uh running and falling over and over again. Right. Um, You know, that kind of stuff. So, and and I think that, that Kevin Williamson who, who wrote scream, um, and several of the, of the sequels, um, he was, he was a, a horror nut like I am. Right. and, And grew up watching horror and he and I have talked about that before. Um, and so for him, it was such a cool opportunity to, to just completely deconstruct it. Um, So, and the
1: current, the current spate of, of horror films have even further deconstructed the tropes because, you know, we don't often have the running and falling, uh, anymore. We don't have, the people are more self-aware now and we have like the paranormal activities where, you know, nothing, 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 and then just a glimmer of something. And that to most people, is more scary than actually seeing the killer. You know um, how how when you're directing and writing these these brand new horror films, how do you select which tropes to use or how to modify them? Um, and and which ones which
0: ones do you love, and which ones you're like, okay, we could put that one to bed. <laughs> <laughs> um, multi-pronged answer there. Uh, I think when it comes to I mean I look the, the the thing about tropes and the thing about you know the, our our job often you know especially on the directing directing side of things with with a horror film is to is to consistently or at least try to consistently subvert expectation um and so part of that expectation is sort of you know w- what are the shots and what are the things that we've seen before? And then you try and surprise someone by using those almost as a weapon against the audience because they're- Because working. we're
1: primed for
0: them. Because you're primed for them and because there's- Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give a, a classic example. It's the the medicine cabinet. Oh, the window, the yes. mirror. The, the mirror, mirror medicine cabinet. And then the mirror slides again, yeah. And yeah, and you keep opening it and closing it. Yeah. And of course, we're expecting the yeah. killer to be behind them, Yeah, You know, and so so now you you have to do that but the killer will never be behind them there, you know? And so that's, that's kind <laughs> of what you have to look for in those types of scares. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I love that stuff. And sometimes it's fun just to, yeah, let the killer be there, you know, because part of it is sort of the audience Wanting something There's a a certain satisfaction in the familiar So you kind of have to find that balance Between sort of how you can still surprise People but how you can still lean into things That you know that people like This is something I've never considered before And you just spurred my thought on it
1: When someone writes a joke, when a stand-up writes a joke and they go and they workshop it, they're like, if I change this one word, does it work better? Does it work worse? If I change this one, yada, yada, yada. If I say it faster, if I say it slower, uh, because I used to do stand-up, I was terrible at it, Uh, (laughs) um, but, but the anatomy of the joke, but
0: you guys workshop the anatomy of a scare? Well, it's funny that you say that because I, I've said many, many times that I believe that the anatomy of a scare is almost identical to the anatomy of a joke. Right? Um, and I'm, I'm seeing some parallels. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when we were making the paranormal movies, we had the luxury um, of being able to, to workshop a scare, so to speak. Yeah, um, because those movies were so inexpensive to make, um, and you know, we're still dealing with 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 a handheld camera most of the time, right? Um, and so it was very we were very nimble, um, and so it was easy for us to like try something out, and then we would watch it in the editing room and go, oh, ah, that sucked, um, <laughs> or really surprise ourselves, right, and, and discover that something worked um, amazingly well, and so our our shooting periods for those films were much longer than a than a traditional horror film. You know, like a regular horror film, you typically get anywhere in the ballpark between like 20 and 30 days to shoot that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the Paranormals, I mean, w- we would sometimes go 40, 50 days. Um, and that could be very spread out because we were... Pecking away we at pecking it. away at yeah. it and playing with stuff and doing a few different endings and all that stuff. And so it was it was amazing. It was liberating um and exciting to be able to do that with a scare. But now
1: once you move into these larger budgets, the scare's gotta be mapped out because you've you got to get it mapped out. You you don't have time, you don't yeah. have
0: money. You don't have I mean look, when I when I shoot like on on both uh, Happy Death Day movies. You know our our budgets are so small compared to most movies. Right, you know, like a Happy Death Day, the first movie had a five million. Dollar budget.
1: Give uh, give the audience uh, a ballpark, not like a Marvel's Avengers movie, but
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but one day on those e- movies yeah, is ex- our whole budget exactly.
1: But uh, give give a, a, a middle a middle range movie, you know, a, a Kieran Knightley costume drama.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, I mean I think a lot of those movies, you know, they kind of they kind of land somewhere in like a twenty million dollar range, right? Okay, uh, I just want people to have a, a grasp of yeah. the
1: magnitudes we're working
0: on. Yeah, so so, so you
1: you are you are creating on pennies on a dollar
0: yes yeah and so when I when I shoot these movies you know it's 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 always like a running joke because you know we I will shot list um, these movies and so every day you know my my um, director of photography um, and uh, and my assistant director we will get together and kind of look at the shot list and go okay so what do we have today because you have to sort of try and anticipate the scope of the work uh, on a daily basis and the joke on these movies is that we never have time to get all the shots and so we just kind of get out a marker and start crossing off oh well we're not going to get that crane shot or we're not going to get that dolly shot because they're time consuming right um and we're always literally making it by the skin of our teeth um and so it's a real race so the idea of workshopping anything is, is out the door out the door and and furthermore you know i would love to cuz i my favorite thing about filmmaking is, is working with actors. Um, and I want to give them the freedom and the flexibility to try everything. You know, what I have on the page isn't necessarily what I want. You know, sometimes it's one of, one of the greatest joys of filmmaking. Uh, and especially for me as a writer too, is to watch an actor interpret something that I've written and make it better. Because I don't yeah. always do it right, right, and so I want to give them that freedom to do it. But again, in this type of of you know budget range and schedule, um, I often can't even give them that much time.
1: Right. That's uh, wow. We are just we're hopping all over the place because no, you're just saying so many interesting things, and that was the ne- that was that was great on the writing because you know I've read my fair share of screenplays, and some of them like for example, an action scene is like down to the millimeter, everything that's happening. And other ones are just like smoke, carnage, blood, kaboom. Yeah. Uh, What, what, where does your writing style fall in there? Are you like, he, he, he runs 30 feet and he turns and he stops the sweat glistening from his brow. Or
0: are you like smoke, kaboom, make it up as we go. No, you know, it's, I try to, I try to strike a, a balance. Um, there's a happy medium there for me. Part of it's funny. With a screenplay, um, I first and foremost i 'm very conscious of the reader um, and so I actually want the script to be an enjoyable read right for people and so a lot of my description um, leans toward that you know there's a lot of rules in screenwriting where you're like you can 't talk about how a person is feeling because you're not showing that, and yada yada yada. Um, yeah. There's yeah. all these like old school rules. Yeah, You're not supposed to do certain things. You're not supposed to yeah. discuss a person's state of mind. And if you can't see something, then it shouldn't be on the page is kind of the, the sort of the idea there. And I disagree with that. And so for me, I can I, I like to sort of create a mood when I'm writing. Um, but I do try to be as clearly descriptive as possible, because at the end of the day, this the screenplay is a map for everyone creatively involved with that film and so we're talking about the art department like what does the building look like what do they need for that what does the room look like what Mm -hmm. is the room furnished with so there's the art department that needs those things and then you have you know obviously your you know the effects and things that the dp needs to know and things that the actors need to know and so there's a lot of information that you still have to bake in there um but action specifically Like that was just my
1: example, but let's go on that.
0: Yeah, but writing action in particular, I despise it. Um, but I do it. Like I have to. It's It's part of the job. But I will say that, like the difference between writing a scene with two people sitting at a table. I mean, that's my joy. Like I love to write about character so I love people communicating with each other um, be it verbal or non-verbal but um, but writing an action scene is complicated and difficult but you do have to be especially if you plan to direct it yourself um, you have to be very clear Um, and that's not to say that there aren't little pockets here and there where you're like I don't 100% 100% know what this is going to look like until maybe I start to involve other people like a stunt coordinator, like sometimes fight sequences, you know, like, yeah, you don't write every punch no. because that would bore the shit out of people to read that. You just know that when you get together with your stunt coordinator and your actors, you're going to plan that out. And so that's an area in, in, in action writing, um, that I wouldn't, elaborate
1: on because even though you are directing this and you have written it, you've still got multitudes of people who still need to sign off on things, add their input, subtract their input. So it is the ultimate roadmap. Yeah. Even if it's like, this is my movie I'm writing and directing it you're not just writing it for yourself, you're writing it for so many other people. So you do have to add that description and you do have to be a little bit more elaborate than maybe you would do if you were just operating in a vacuum in your own head.
0: Exactly, yeah. And I think though, I mean, and again, it's always like for me, there are different kinds of filmmakers and, and different kinds of writers. Um, there, are, there are writers where every single word of dialogue on that page and every moment in that, in that script, um, that's how it's going to be. Um, and for me, I always like to think of my screenplays as, to a degree, suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 nothing is set in stone. And I think part of that is I I spend so many years behind a laptop <clears throat> writing that the joy of getting out into the world finally and getting to work with so many different kinds of creative and talented people, that's the most exciting part of filmmaking for me. And so when I get to hear what somebody else's idea is, and how it can make the thing that I created even better, that's super exciting for me. And so to to go back to the action of it all, um, it's really fun to work with with a stunt coordinator. And when you've written something and they go, yeah, but what if this happened? Like what if they used this prop as a weapon? Um, And it's just something that you never thought of. and and a light bulb turns on. That's right. really fun.
1: And, you know, or or what if I said it, like, this way? Mm-hmm. Same line, but what if I said it this way? And you're like, whoa, that changes everything. Like, I didn't even know my own work could turn that way. Yeah. You know? Uh, I, wrote, I wrote classical music for college, right? Mm-hmm. And people would be like, what if we sped it up a little bit here? I go, no, you can't. Actually that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. You know what? You do that. That is better, you know. I wrote it, but you're you the musician, you're interpreting it better than I could because you see it from this angle, but I see it from my own insular like I had it in my mind's eye. Uh yeah, you know collaboration
0: improves things. Yeah. It's it's one of the interesting things that I've learned. And by the way, like I I still feel like I'm in a fairly nascent stage in my directing career. Um I have not directed that many movies yet. And I, there's, it's, it's a delicate balance between you have to project confidence and you have to be assured in your vision of the thing that you're trying to make. And I, and I believe in myself in that regard and I, and I try to do that. Um, but the other half of it is still being an incredibly good listener, um, removing your ego from the process and being comfortable and secure enough with yourself to admit that you may be wrong about something or you may not know something. It's another thing that I I think a lot of beginner directors, green directors, they're so afraid of looking weak, um, that they won't admit to things that they don't know and they'll make bad decisions or hasty decisions because they're trying to sort of plow through something because they don't want anyone to know, um, who's behind the curtain, so to speak, you know, all a wizard of Oz. So, um, I just think it's really important to be able to sort of find that balance as a filmmaker to know when you have made the right decision and when you're confident in that and your and your convictions but then also know when your your footing isn't assured and you want someone to help.
1: I mean that's management 101 though.
0: You it are, is, but it's missed by so many people.
1: Right, but you're you're still you're still the new guy. That DP and uh, all those lighting directors and stuff they're way older than you. Yeah. Why wouldn't you not? It's like uh it's like the classic military trope, the army movie trope, where the young Green Lieutenant doesn't take the seasoned sergeant's advice, right? right. right? Yeah. No, Green Lieutenant Always take the sergeant's advice yeah. because he knows he's, he's he's been there. He's been there, yeah. right? Yeah. But you know, the young green one comes in and I'm the West Point hot shot, and guess what happens to him? His platoon dies. Yeah. The sergeant goes, I told <laughs> and the sergeant goes, I told you so, and his dying death, right? Yeah. Why? I mean, I, I guess maybe we're you and I are wired in maybe a better way. Maybe we do have less ego because I'd be like oh, you are literally the expert on this. I am going to listen to you and learn from you, but you still have to maintain authority because you are the boss. Yeah. But there's no shame in not being fully the boss.
0: No, no. I like being the boss. Um, But yeah. (laughs) I'm a control freak, so I enjoy it. (laughs) But
1: management is also delegation too. Yeah, absolutely. He's the expert on that. Talk to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So there's something you said earlier about, you know, you like writing this one-to-one, this you know, two people at a table. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a really huge component of all the best, all the best horror movies. Uh, the shining, right? Yeah. Uh, what's, what's another really, uh, a really good one I that mean, really Rosemary's baby, Rosemary's yeah. baby, uh, the exorcist. Yeah. They've all got these quiet moments yeah. and, and they're either actually wait, those are all family dramas, Absolutely. Ultimately, they're a family drama. Yeah. You know, you've got, you know, fun ones that are about friends, but they're, the French friend bond doesn't resonate as much as a family bond does. And paranormal activities are all within the home.
0: Yeah. They're always about families. And look, and that's the thing that is, it's, if there's any sort of common denominator, I, I, I hope to my, to my work, um, and this goes all the way back to, to films like Disturbia, which I wrote a long time ago, um, a lot of my work, it's still about families and connection or, or that loss of connection. Yeah. Um, and, and often characters in my films are wrestling with grief. My, my dad passed away when I was 16 and that left um, a very, very big mark on me. Right. And it's something that I always am sort of working out and dealing with in my writing. Um, and, it, and it's come up again in, in, in Happy Death Day. Um, where tree, uh, you know her her mom passed away, and the whole idea of of that first movie is that she gets she gets trapped in the same day and gets stuck in this time loop and is reliving the same day over and over and over again, and she's trying to solve her own murder, and she's a terrible person, um, and so she has a lot of suspects in her in her orbit, um, but what the movie is ultimately about is a is a young girl um, who. Lost her mom, and it soured her. And and by f- having to face herself on a daily basis, she really starts to come to terms with that loss. Um, and so that's a place that I like to go to a lot. And even in the paranormal movies, um, the you know the the very first movie, which was was written and directed by Orrin um it was a very simple movie about a couple, just a young couple yeah, who had yeah. recently moved in together. Yeah. Um, and it was just very relatable. And so whenever we approached these movies, we tried to attack them with something that was that was classically simple and relatable. And so in Paranormal 2, this was a story about a family bringing a baby home. Um, and the third movie was about sort of a, a new family forming. There was a, a mother and her two daughters and now her boyfriend had just moved in. Right. Um, these are all relatable yeah. everyday
1: occurrences. And that's
0: the kind of stuff that you want to go for because when you do that, the audience can sit there and go, Oh, I know if, if it's, if they're not saying that's me, they're saying, I know that person. Right. And that automatically hooks people in. I mean, it's
1: cool having space Marines battle the aliens but none of us have ever been space marines, but everyone else of us has been, you know, everyone else has heard something go bump in the night at their house when they were a kid right. and that, you know, you still remember that. You
0: remember that, but then you also think of something like, you know, why, why a film, and, and I go to this movie quite a bit. I love the first alien movie, um, you know, Ridley Scott's genius, um, but I also love the James Cameron sequel, yeah, they're, they're both were, good movies. They're both they're great. Totally movies. different, though. Totally different. Yeah. But what makes the the sequel? what makes Cameron's movie so successful? Nuke from orbit, man. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's so many classic lines. Like, what do you put her in charge? Um, no, but it's it's the fact that like he, James Cameron w- was smart enough to know that he was not going to get away with just making like an al- a giant aliens movie because he's essentially making a war movie. Yes. Um yeah. But what he did was he gave Ripley such a tremendous loss at the beginning of the movie. Her daughter died of old age. Yeah. And she missed all of it. Yep. And that was so powerful because then he got then he gave her a daughter in the movie. Yes. Yeah. And so all of that stuff newt. Yeah, newt. yeah newt. So the whole movie becomes this other thing. Wow, I never actually and Alien
1: is It's a family movie. It is. <laughs> oh my god, it is. And Alien is nothing like that. Alien is not a family no, movie. No,
0: Alien is a haunted house movie.
1: Alien is a haunted house movie. It's a ghost house movie. Yeah. It's, it's... And 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 Aliens is a war movie and family movie. Yeah. Yeah. True Lies, family movie. Family oh, now, movie. We're, now we're going down we're going down the reservation. Yeah, we're going down the Stay in your lane, we're, man. We're going down, down the Cameron hole. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'll, It's a hole I'm
0: happy to go down. Um, no, but I think that, like again, going back to what we were talking what about. What you want to write. Yeah. What I want to write and also the movies, the horror movies, <coughs> excuse me, that I am really drawn to um, are always about, about people and, and their relationships and you and then we can we can reference another movie that just you know is a little more recent, so you t- we talk about get out like get out is a massively successful movie that really shook things up It's another family movie, oh my God, <laughs> it's a family movie and it's about and it's about you know and obviously it's a, it's about an interracial relationship yeah, sort of race and all those things, but it, but at the end of the day it's still even if you ignore the race aspect of it, which you can't yeah. Um, but it is still a girl bringing her boyfriend home to meet her parents for the first time. Yes, yeah. So relatable, even if you're not in that situation, you still are.
1: There's a fundamental relatable conceit that you have to have as your jump off point if you're making these smaller, more intimate horror movies. Or actually maybe smaller, more intimate movies in general, I mean, all the all the tiny like indie films that we've loved over the past couple decades, the ones that don't have the budgets to have explosions and be set in Paris, mm-hmm. you have to have something intimate and graspable to start with, don't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the big error that a lot of horror films make, and the and and I think that we're, we're maybe that's why. There's been a bit of a shift. Is um, horror movies tend to make all of its characters disposable? Um, you know, like all but one, all maybe. but one, but yeah. even the one, it's, it's like when Inter- it was trope- maybe
1: interchangeable. Yeah. Like it doesn't really matter which of the five of them she's, survive.
0: She's sweet. Yeah. She's a wallflower. Yeah. And she won't have sex with anyone. Yeah. But she'll live. You know, yeah. so there was that to, to take it back to what And we were he's
1: discussing. the oh, he's the goofy best friend. He's gonna disappear. We're gonna think he's gone, but yeah. he's gonna come back at yeah. the end. But you know what? It could have been the jock. It's not yeah. gonna be the jock, but it could have been the jock.
0: Yeah. And so I think now, hopefully, um, we're seeing horror that's trying to pay more attention to character. Um, And and I think that has resonated more with people. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST.
0: I think when you see a film, um, you know, like The Conjuring. Um, yes. Which yeah. is a massively successful film. But again, I think that film was so successful because um, the filmmakers took great care to establish interesting characters. Um, you know, a very relatable couple um, dealing with a family that's, you know, going through something terrifying. And so those people are still likable and relatable um, in some capacity. And I think those, those are the things that I think are changing more and more. I think that especially now when I work on horror films and Um, and when I'm dealing with with producers and studios, we spend a great deal of time talking about the people that are going to inhabit that story in that film.
1: Right. Um, And and the people, for those of you out there unversed with filmmaking, um, correct me if I'm wrong. I might be wrong because I'm not very well versed, but the recent spate during this so-called horror renaissance of the films I've watched seem to... Dance harder around not in, incorporating, maybe they are, and I just can't see it, the three-act structure that filmmaking typically has. Or maybe it's just not as evident to me because maybe it's more subtle. Can you tell everyone, first of all, about the three-act structure for those who are not familiar with it? And uh, two, is it is it dead in this genre or is it still there and it's just subtle and we can't see it anymore?
0: Oh, no, it's it's there. Um, it 's always there, and I always tell people you know everything everything in life moves in three acts um, and in at least in film you know act one is essentially you're you 're setting the table um, and so that 's introducing the audience to to your characters uh, it 's introducing your audience to the uh, themes of the film and and to the story um, and then act two act two is always it 's the it's, it's where the, the real movie exists. Um, that's where most of your sort of plot machinations are unfolding. Um, and act three is always, you know, resolution. Um, and so when I, I always tell people, like, like, I always try and give sort of mundane uh, interactions as examples. So like today, you and I, like act one, I'll say was you and I meeting in the lobby. Yes. And chit-chatting. And then, of course, act two is us sitting down and doing this interview. And then act three is me saying goodbye to you and going down and getting my car from the valet. <laughs> you know? So it's, everything really does move in a three-act structure. So, um, And so even when it feels imperceptible, I think it's there. I think we're- Maybe
1: that's just the testament to how seamless the writing is these days.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think we went through, in the 80s and the 90s, um, even though the, there are many, 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 many great films um, made uh, in both those decades. Um, we also saw the rise of of the studio system, um, and and part of that is also connected to the fact that a lot of the movie studios were sort of were 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 gobbled up by bigger companies. Right, Coca-Cola, yeah. Columbia and Sony were one
1: company at the same time.
0: What is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a crazy thing and so what what happened was, you know, suddenly, you know, everyone became very aware that that they needed to make a movie that would appeal to as many people as possible. Um and and sometimes that has create has caused a certain kind of homogenization of the process. And, right. And um and so I I think there were a lot of movies that kind of felt um, a bit sort of generic um, and you could feel the gears shifting. Built by committee. Yeah, built by committee. And so those act breaks, you know, like they were very present. Um, And I think what's interesting about the horror genre specifically is that before, like especially again, sort of 90s and and, and even in sort of like the early 2000s, you know, if you were a, a writer working in the field of horror, like, and you were doing a project for a studio, there were, there were these rules that they wanted you to follow, which was like, every 10 pages, you have a scare. Mm-hmm. So literally, like, in the first 10 pages of your horror script... You better scare somebody. But that'll be like, oh, it turned out it was the cat. Yeah. And it was always a jump scare. Yeah. Because you weren't you never earned a real scare right. by page 10. Because yeah. how could you possibly set all that up? And what I've noticed now where things have changed is that people are more comfortable again allowing us to take a little more time mm-hmm. to set things up. And so and and because the payoff is so much better, if you give me the first 30 minutes to really hook people in and to really get people to care about the characters that I'm creating. Then of course, when I throw them into danger and peril, um, they're you're, invested. You're, yeah, you're all the more you invested. Give a shit. Yeah. So like that, that's what's nice about what's happening. I think again, in horror now, um, is that people have kind of moved away from that irritating rule. um, and and they're allowing filmmakers to kind of hook people in.
1: Well, it's like the, uh, you know, if technology was better, Jaws would
0: have been a terrible movie. It's true. Right? Yeah. They couldn't get that shark to work. And that's another thing, though. With, you know? That's a horror thing, too, though, which is like, and and less is more show less if you can. You know, everyone's imagination is is far more powerful. Oh, right.
1: Original Michael Myers versus roided up Michael Myers like a decade later. Yeah. You know? I
0: think that, you know, like, and that's why the new Halloween that that came out recently was such a huge success because that movie... The filmmakers decided to go back to basics. It was a, it was either a big
1: small movie or a small big movie. I'm not really sure how I could classify it, but it was it was yeah. it was a big movie made small. It was yes. a yeah 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 exactly. Absolutely. And what, where there we go. Uh, whereas the first one was a small movie made small.
0: Yeah yeah yeah. And but they would really understood that like w- what people wanted was something that was more character driven, something that went back to basics a little bit more, um, that was showing you a little bit less, you know, because it, it did get to that point. There was the Rob Zombie stage of of the Halloween franchise, and the
1: how what the house House of a Thousand Corpses or whatever it's just a different. It's a yeah. different
0: approach, and I'm not saying one is right or necessarily wrong. For me, my taste, I like. I mean, I was. But I grew up on the Carpenter version. Right. So that movie is sort of and it's it's the holy grail of slasher films mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And that is because there was an elegance and a subtlety, which doesn't seem like those words belong in this conversation, but like he really did show an immense amount of restraint and the and the composition of his shots and the use of music and all of those elements combined really elevated the genre. And so what Rob Zombie was doing was a very different style, which was very in-your-face and aggressive and super ultra-violent. Um, it's just a different approach.
1: Well, it was like Saw was a revelation. Yes. Saw one. Yeah. Because that was a room. Yeah. That was it. Mm-hmm. A room, a body. It was a murder mystery, Yeah. right? yeah very and, clever. And then and then uh and then I'm not, by the way I'm by no means deriding the franchise cuz they're immensely popular and super super popular and lots of people love them. But then it turned into not my ball game cuz I'm like, well now it's just out of control. And yeah. for me that was too much. Saw one, I was like Whoa. It was that, uh, that riddle. It's like, the man is found dead, and there's a puddle of water. How did he die? Yeah. He was stabbed by the icicle, you know? And yeah. the icicle melted. That was Saw 1. And then they just well, went it really- Well, it was like
0: the escape room before we even had escape rooms, you know? Have you ever
1: done one of those? I have. I have not. I think I'd get really too frustrated way too quickly. It's, the one that I
0: did was actually terrifying Really? Uh, yeah, it was really scary. And was I, it here in Los it Angeles? It here in LA. Yeah. Um, we are in Los Angeles, by the way, right now. Yep, sunny LA. Um, the escape room that I did was a, and I, I'm terrible, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it was probably something like, lock yourself in a room with a zombie. <laughs> um, but we all gathered in this room that sort of looked like a library of sorts with a lot of tchotchkes and, and furniture and whatnot. Um, and there was a clock on the wall that counted down. And then... Once the doors locked, there was a very large armoire um, and those doors swung open and a zombie climbed out and he had a chain around his neck. Yeah. And every, I think it was every three minutes, his chain got longer. A siren went off and the chain got longer so he (laughs) could reach you. So you had to solve the puzzle. You had to figure out how to get out of the room. While
1: getting further and further away. While
0: running away from a zombie who kept trying to grab you. So it his was a, chain got longer and yeah, longer. So if was, a clue was near him, you had to figure out how to, someone would have to draw him away from the clue while the other person tried
1: did to your, did your horror writer director background help you out in this?
0: Not at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm a total idiot. No, you're like you're like, Nope, I know this exactly.
0: This is how I would have done it. Nope. But here's the, here's the, here's I can bring this full circle. Please. Here's what we did. Right. Cause we got out. Okay, we got out and we got out. Literally, I think we had something like 40 seconds left on the clock. But like filmmaking, I was in a room with people who were smarter than me. Uh, oh, there we go. And that's the thing I do. <laughs> surround I always try yourself. To surround myself with smarter people so I can get out. Um, and and so yeah, that was that was the key. Because um, if you go in there with a bunch of dummies, you are screwed. <laughs> I haven't done the
1: escape the rooms yet, but there was uh, I, I forgot what sitcom it was. Maybe it was the Good Place. I was watching, and uh, I think it was the Good Place. And I think Kristen Bell's character goes, uh, "I figured out the secret. to This escape room was just break everything until they kick you out of the escape room." <laughs> that would have been my escape yeah. room philosophy. Well, that's <laughs> one way to do it. That's one way to do it. Um. So let's let's. let's Let's wrap up in the next uh, couple minutes and let's talk about, um, the, the future of horror, where you think it's going with, you know, we've got this intimacy, we've got this family, we've got this character driven, we've got audiences who are more apt to let the stories breathe. And then let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about happy death day to you fits into that.
0: All right. The future of horror. Hmm. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say this. I don't, I believe that everything is cyclical. Mm-hmm. And so, just because we're having a a, a bigger moment right now, um, doesn't mean that that we aren't sort of um, susceptible to the sort of ebb and flow of people's tastes, right? And, and so, I do expect for for this to sort of go out of style, and then tentpole ones come back again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just sort of it's it's funny because when when I made the f- the first Happy Death Day, um a lot of people said, Oh, slasher movies are back. You know, like we were kind of ahead of that curve a little bit, mm-hmm. which was nice because I'd rather be in front of a trend than behind it. Um, but, but I, and, and so now, yes, I mean with Halloween and you're going to see, you know, I know that they've been trying to sort of figure out another, uh, Friday the 13th and you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that they're either trying to bring back or create new horror icons, but, um, you do see things move in a certain sort of cycle. um, And what we do know is this, there is, there's an established appetite for this kind of stuff. Um, we, horror has always had an audience. Um, there are, there are legions of horror fans and I'm one of them.
1: Nosferatu, 1922.
0: Absolutely. And I think that the difference being is that, you know, for the most part and for, for many, many years, horror has been marginalized. (laughs) If, if if you will it's been it's been looked down upon like i remember even like when i when i would make a paranormal activity movie and i would go you know you after you make a movie and it comes out in theaters you know you go on sort of like your own press tour of sorts, which is like, I go out into the world, into Hollywood and I go on all these general meetings, which is when you go in and you talk to executives at companies and you base, it's kind of a waste of time, but, um, (laughs) not to the executives, (laughs) not to the executives. No. And sometimes things come out of it, but a lot of it's just sort of like part of the deal. Yeah. Um, but I, as a, as a writer and director of horror, I've always been looked down on, um, there's always been a certain kind of snobbery to it all which is sort of like but horror isn't really cinema Um, but if you talk to a horror fan they'll smack you in the face for saying that yeah
1: I would because so many film techniques and angles and everything you think those are icons of the horror world
0: it's very true and by the way most so many great filmmakers cut their teeth in the genre because it's the easiest way in Um, because you don't need big celebrities and you don't need all of these other trappings to sort of make a horror film Sam Raimi Sam Raimi. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, Bill Condon. um, There's so many people who started in horror, but, um, you know, it's, it's still, it's for a long time, it was still looked down upon and it, and it's only until really, really, I mean, look, there are films that break through the noise and, and, and we've talked about Rosemary's baby and, um, you know, so you have that stuff, but, um, I do believe that people are, not as as stuck up about it now, and I think Jason Blum um, has has helped a lot with that. Um, he in in the business model that he's created, Blum Blumhouse, Blumhouse. It, yes, so, he's so it, Jason Blum is a horror super producer. He is the horror super producer. He's actually just a super producer now because he's he's got his his hand in so many different kinds of things. But um, but what he did was he created a business model whereby f- people who would normally not do horror do it right because part of that model is profit participation so filmmakers that come and make movies with him to they can own their own movie mm-hmm. so they're incentivized to bust their ass and try and make the best movie possible, um, and it's also really sort of creatively freeing because you're not in this big complex studio system, and you're making a small movie for a low budget, and so it's there's just something a little bit easier about that. Yeah, um, less pressure, I should say. It's not easier, but the pressure's a little bit off. Um, and so now you're seeing really interesting filmmakers who who normally I don't think would would play in this particular sandbox. They're now. There, right, and making interesting stuff, and so I think that has helped a lot, and I think it started to really change public opinion and critical opinion because that's another area that's been really tough for a lot of us is that in in its critics that have I think a lot of them have looked down on horror, um, and but now they can't deny the fact that there's such relevancy coming out of this genre um, that you're really seeing smart horror. Um, come out of this. So I think that's, that's a big change for, for people is perception. It's public perception of
1: the genre. So pending the perception moving forward in a positive light, which it seems to be because you can't throw a stone at a movie theater without two to three horror titles on it. A lot of them are sequels, but a lot of them are original. Yeah. A lot of everything else that you see coming out in theaters is not original, but you can pretty much guarantee that every two to three months, there will be a brand new original horror movie out, yeah. which will not be like any of the others you've ever seen. So that's fairly liberating. So yeah. I that that's encouraging that we see not the future of horror cinema, but a future of cinema because too often we don't get, you know the lobsters and the favorites of yeah, the world, yeah. which everyone loves, but no one sees. What? I mean, no, I'm We're, in, we're, we're in, <laughs> I'm a, in a bubble. Yes. Oh yes. Oh yes, sir. You are. <laughs> and by the way, I'm from New York. We're in a bubble too. Yeah. I'm just going in really broad brush jokes yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's like the, um, it's like you see that acclaimed Academy award winning actor. Who's always nominated. And it's like, why is he in that action movie? so we could go do those movies yeah, afterwards, exactly. you know? Yeah. Uh, and that must be really liberating for a writer and director to be like, okay, I can go do that big action tentpole thing, but when I really want to, exter- I mean, Del Toro. Del Toro does the big ones, and then he always comes back to his small little horror movies, yeah, you know? Yeah, like
0: Soderbergh. Like, there's just those filmmakers that have, it's the dream. Right. It's the dream because they can go make a giant $100 million movie and by
1: the way, it's great going on vacation to Lake Como with George and Brad and, and Matt yeah. and
0: filming that movie and then coming back and grabbing your handheld again. <laughs> but I would bet, I would bet money that if you ask any of those guys what's more fun, they're going to tell you it's the smaller yes, movie.
1: Yes. No, that's, no oh, that's, that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. You, go, you go to Lake Como with Brad and Matt and yeah. George, but then you come back and you grab your handheld and you yeah. get to do what you wanted what to, you do. Want to do. Yeah. 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 It's true. Uh, Happy Death Day to you comes out on Valentine's Day. Is it a Valentine's Day flick? It really, really is. Is it okay? It, how
0: it, it it truly is? I think it's the most Valentine. It's flick. it's the Valentineziest. Yeah, it really is because you know what, what, and without getting into spoilers and 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 too much like plot detail, um, it's very much about about falling in love um, and. And sort of the consequences of, of of our choices, you know, and sort of in the pursuit of happiness and following our heart. Um, it's a huge theme in the movie, um, and and where Happy Death Day One had the beginnings of a love story, the sequel really leans into that mm-hmm. that element of of, of of the story. So it's it is very much a Valentine's. Uh, And then, of course, there's just something about a baby mask that takes you to a cherub, you know, like there's something very like, um, and also just sort of like, you know, the red hearts of it all and yada, yada. But yeah, it's it's, it's a really good, it's a really good date movie. Um, Yeah, I
1: think the promo materials that I've seen out thus far, like... Cakes with hearts around them and a little yeah. ca- and a little candle on it. This is to you, I think it is, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> no, so there's definitely it's a it's a great it's a great uh, date for us. Um, but you know we're different than most horror because we are truly, you know, we're horror comedy, um, and and traditionally that's always been a huge no no, right? Especially in the studio system, nobody wants to touch a horror comedy because they feel like it. It divides your audience, right? They don't know what they're getting. Is it funny? Is it scary? Like, what am I supposed? How am I supposed to react to this? Um, and and what's great about our movie is, I mean, it is truly, and this is what makes this thing so truly batshit, is that it is a <laughs> batshit, it love is it. batshit. It is a horror rom com sci fi heist movie
1: (laughs) like i i I can i can see i could see an old i can see an old man on the lot being like what are you doing to me heads exploding
0: (laughs) i i went in and pitched i went in and pitched because you know universal initially and i don't know if i'm supposed to say this out loud but i will we will air it whenever you need us to 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 not get in trouble i think everybody everybody kind of looked at the first movie as a one off right No, no one was screaming for a sequel which I appreciated. It wasn't like a cash grab. It wasn't like, oh, we made lots of money. Let's do it again. It just kind of felt like, yeah, that was great, but you know, it is what it is. And I had this idea for a sequel and I went in and I pitched it to them and they looked at me like, you're crazy. <laughs> like, like it's sh- that probably won't work. <laughs> um, but luckily I had a producer and you know, people around me that really believed in it and, and the nice thing was, when we finished the movie and we showed it to them, the reaction was largely the same. But it was <laughs> but what shifted was they said it's it's crazy and this shouldn't work, but it does. Ah, uh,
1: so they they still weren't on
0: board. But then they saw dollar signs and they changed uh, their mind. It's not so much that I think it was just that it was a very and look everything is execution dependent. Like right. One of my pet peeves is when people talk about like a script or something and they say, "Oh, well, it's execution dependent." And I'm like, "Well, isn't everything?" Um, walking is ex- walking is execution dependent. <laughs> yeah. But in this case, it was very much the truth. Like this was this this it this took a miracle and took a lot of hard work to pull off. Um, but we're all really. Proud of it. And I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised that we did not rest on our laurels and just make the same movie twice. Right. So we did something a little bit left field, and I think it's a lot of fun. That is
1: awesome. So let's, uh, I don't know you're probably listening to this right before february 14th because i think that's when we'll put it out i hope so (laughs) we'll put out no no done we're putting this out in conjunction with happy death day to you in theaters on what day is february 14th it's valentine's day well no what day of the week is it oh it's a thursday night a thursday night yeah okay well you are listening to this uh, let's do it the week before you're listening (laughs) to the week (laughs) before who knows but it's likely before yes you were listening to it You, you know what it's going to be in theaters either now or will be shortly. Happy Death Day to you is in theaters. Chris Landon, what an amazing conversation. I hope everyone learns something about horror, and I hope they go out and watch some more small, independent horror movies because this is where the real directors are working. That's Chris, awesome. thank you so very much. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.